Hello everyone, this is Pastor Glenn. I want to thank you for tuning in to another motivational moment in the Word. This is a broadcast of Wisdom for Life, and today we're talking about worship for the win. Have you ever wondered how to win when you're struggling? You know, the Bible gives us an order for a breakthrough, with worship being first, and then later the win. When you're going through a battle and in pain, the last thing you may want to do is worship, but worship is warfare, and it is first in the order of how God brings a win. I'd like to start in this episode with a little bit of a brain teaser. Imagine if you're in a dark room with a candle, a wood stove, and a gas lamp, and you have only one match. So what do you light first and why? You know, even though it was not one of the choices, given immediately, if you chose to light the match first, you chose well, because you cannot light anything else nor see anything else until that match is lit. It kind of tricks you, but makes you think about first things being first, right? Many times we're so busy cursing the darkness that we miss our opportunity to light our match and therefore light up the room, light up the candle, light up the lamp, and also light up the stove. The light in the room is consistent now, and there's even warmth because we've taken the opportunity in a right attitude to bring forth light instead of just cursing the darkness. So lighting up the match is really putting first things first. That's how faith works. It goes first, and it praises God, and then the breakthrough comes. A lot of times we think, you know, I'll have a better attitude as things in life get better. And I'll cheer up as soon as I get over this health issue. Or I'll give praise to God when I get through these tough times. But that's not how faith works. You've got to give God praise first. And then the breakthrough comes. You've got to act I'd in like faith you to consider first. David for then a moment. things will change in he your favor. He was a great warrior. Praise he was always a greater worshiper. Victory. The kingdom under David grew and expanded better and farther than any other king, before or after. David wrote this psalm in Psalm 149, verse 6. It says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. I want you to see that David mentions first that the high praises are in the mouth of the people of God, and then a sword in their hand. There is a spiritual battle that is fought first, and that battle is fought and won by worship, because worship is war. But then there is a physical battle that must be fought as well. But the worship battle in the supernatural is always waged before the battle is waged in the natural. Let's look at some examples from Scripture here, one being Moses facing the Amalekites with the children of Israel as they have left Egypt. You find this story in Exodus chapter 17. Moses is told by God to raise his hands, and he lifts his hands up before the Lord. This type of worship is called worship of thanksgiving. The Hebrew word for lifting up holy hands in this way is called yada. Yada is the word for hand. Moses is lifting his hands up in thanksgiving before the Lord as the battle is being waged with the Amalekites and the children of Israel. So while Joshua is fighting the physical battle against the enemy of the Amalekites, 
Moses is fighting the spiritual battle against the devil, with the help of Aaron and Hur keeping his arms up. As long as Moses' hands were lifted in prayer and worship before the Lord, Israel keeping his arms up. As long as Moses' hands were lifted in prayer and worship before the Lord, Israel pre prevailed in the war against the Amalekites. When we surrender ourselves to the Lord with arms lifted high, He is fighting our battles. Then we can move forward in faith and begin to see our world change around us. The worship comes first and then the win. How about another example? In this example, we see Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of a whale. In the midst of all these problems, there was seaweed all around him. The smell must have been bad, dark. It was probably dank and uncomfortable. He couldn't see a way out. But later in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah began to pray. But in the first eight verses of that prayer, all he talked about was how bad life was, how much he was in the depths of despair, how he was surrounded by so much turmoil. On and on, negative he would go, negative and defeated. You know, sometimes what we call prayer and praise to God is really just a complaining session. We're just telling God about everything that's wrong, like God doesn't already know that it's wrong. And that's not really prayer, nor is it praise. That's just telling God your problems. God is not moved by your problems. He's moved by your faith and your praise. And your praise is faith at work. The scripture says the spirit of faith is in our words. In fact, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed. And therefore, I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So my question to you today, folks, is what's coming out of your mouth? Are you telling God about your big problem? Or are you talking to God and telling God about your big God? Here's an example of a prayer that might show faith and praise. Father, my business is slow, but I want to thank you that you're supplying all of my needs. I know that you're Jehovah Jireh. You're my Lord and you're my provider. You said I would lend and not borrow. So I want to thank you that everything I touch will prosper and succeed today as I walk in accordance to your will. I give you praise and I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a different type of praying, friends. That's the type of praying that lifts up the name of God and sees a big God and not talks about seeing a big problem. You talk about how almighty God is and how great God is, and God will show up. And that's exactly what Jonah did. After all of that complaining in chapter 2 of the eight verses in total, we get to the end of chapter 2 at verse 9. And the spirit and the attitude that Jonah has to the Lord changes. Jonah says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. And you know, something very interesting and very different happens at verse 10. At verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see, everything changed when Jonah began to give God thanksgiving. When Jonah began to sacrifice to the Lord, 
And what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice of praise is giving praise when you don't feel like it, when your circumstances are dark, when the room is dark. You're willing to light the match of your life by faith and light up the room and give God the praise that he deserves anyway. You too may feel like you're in the belly of a whale today. You could easily complain and talk about your problems, or you can thank God that he's fighting your battles. You can thank him that he's bigger than your problems. You can thank him that no weapon formed against you will prosper. You can praise your way to victory. Sacrifice means that your praise costs you something. It means, God, I'm hurting, but I give you praise anyway. God, I'm lonely, but I give you praise. God, it wasn't fair what they did to me, but I give you praise. Nothing gets God's attention any more than faith and praise. This is exactly what Paul and Silas did. They were put in jail for spreading the good news. It wasn't fair. They were beaten with rods without a trial. It was unjust. And as they sat in prison, bloodied, bruised, and uncomfortable, they began to sing praises to God. If you're going to live in victory, you have to know how to praise while you're in pain. Praise when you're disappointed. Praise when you're lonely. And praise when you go through a loss. After all, we can give God praise when we're on a mountaintop. That's easy. But our attitude should be, I'm going to give him praise even if it's in the valley. That's the kind of praise that set Paul and Silas free. But not only them, also every prisoner that was in that jailhouse that night. As an earthquake responded to their praise, the prison doors were flung open and all the prisoners were set free. That's the sacrifice of praise. And what happened? They praised their way to victory. That means you're so full of praise, folks, that even if you stubbed your toe, instead of cursing, you would just say God is good. When you're in bad traffic, instead of yelling out something foul, you let forth the praise of God from your lips. That's what Joshua did. He and the people of Israel were headed towards the promised land. But right in the middle of their path was a huge obstacle called the city of Jericho. Between you and your destiny, there'll always be a Jericho. Something you can't go around. You have to either defeat it or it's going to defeat you. And God told Joshua to tell the people to march around the city for six days, one time a day. And on the seventh day, they were to march around seven times. They were instructed to not say a word. And you know that's important. They weren't to whisper or to talk. No complaining could come out of their mouth. And that was God's way of helping them have their victory. They had to march perfectly quiet. That was probably a challenge in it of itself because there were millions of them at this time. On the seventh day and on the seventh time around, God said, this is the time I want you to do something different. As you march, I want you to let out a shout of praise. God was telling them the warfare and teaching them the warfare of worship and that there was power in praise. The miracle was in their mouth to not lift up the size of the walls, but in that moment they lifted up the power of God's word and his promise that those walls would come down. They said nothing, but when it was time to say something, that something was praise. You know, a lot of times we think, I'll shout after those walls come down. I'll shout after the victory, after the promotion, and even after the breakthrough. 
But friends, no, that's backwards. The shout is what activates God's power. And we must realize that God hears us even when we whisper. But the warfare of a shout and the warfare of our worship, when it's shouted out loudly, is heard by the enemy. God hears the whisper, but the walls of the enemy are defeated by a shout. There's a scripture that helps us understand what the shout invites. That scripture is Psalms chapter 22, verse 3, where it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. It doesn't say he inhabits the complaints of his people or the frustration or the worries of his people. We might be saying, why is this taking so long? These children are getting on my nerves. This job, I just can't handle it anymore. You know, those things don't get God's attention. And God doesn't live and inhabit those things. God inhabits the praises of his people. One version of that text says God is enthroned when we praise his name. You know, when we praise God, we're actually building a throne in the midst of what we're going through for God to sit on. It's literally putting the things that we're going through and the circumstances below God and making a throne out of it so that God can be God in that situation. David put it this way, come magnify the Lord with me. David didn't say magnify your problems. He said magnify your God. That is the sweet smelling aroma that goes up of praise before God. And that's what attracts God. We see this throughout the Old Testament, that God says worship is a sweet-smelling savor before him. It's a different atmosphere that invites the presence of God in the midst of what we're going through. You know, years ago, my wife and I owned a house with our kids, and underneath our house one day, much to my concern, a raccoon had died. I had no idea that that raccoon was under there and had died under there. But sooner or later, we began to have the smell of that raccoon. The stink was so strong that I didn't even want to go into the backyard, let alone get in the house. I had to crawl underneath the house, and I had to get that raccoon out. It was that bad. The smell had affected the atmosphere, and that smell was keeping my family away, and not only my family, but the friends as well. Conversely, there was a day that my wife began to make her secret recipe for apple crisp. Man, I could smell that apple crisp all the way into the garage. I would come home from work and that aroma would just fill the atmosphere. It would change everything. I knew that my wife was making that apple crisp. She didn't have to tell me. I knew by the smell that filled the atmosphere, it changed things. You know, our praises are just like that to God. They're a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Are you complaining or are you praising? Are you offering up sweet-smelling aromas to God with your praise? Or are you just putting out a smell that's repulsive by complaining and by being upset about your situation with words? We're all creating an atmosphere around us by what we're thinking, by what we're saying, and the words through our attitude that we are putting out. When you are surrounded by trouble and darkness and life just begins to smell, it's time to clear the air, create an atmosphere of praise and worship. If your attitude is bad, your words will be bad. 
you will begin to complain. And like garbage, that attracts flies and disease and death. But if your heart and your attitude is good, your words will be good. You will worship. You will give God praise. And like spring flowers, you will draw life. Let me remind you today, folks, whatever you're sending out, you're going to draw in. If you're creating a negative atmosphere, that's going to attract discouragement, defeat, and bad breaks. Pay attention to what kind of atmosphere you're creating. You can't complain and see breakthroughs. God inhabits praises of his people, and those praises enthrone him and give you the victory. God bless you, and thank you for listening today.